That last verse of that song is really a precious verse. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. A lot of truth in that verse. Saved by the grace of God, and yet he recognizes and realizes within his own heart how prone he is to wander and astray from the very God that he loves. But thanks be to God, he will seal our hearts to worship him. I hope that's why you're here this morning. It's good to see all of you this morning and to be able to sing and to pray. And now, if you would, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Philippians with me. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And we will begin reading in verse 12. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you this morning, we're so thankful to be able to gather on this, the first day of the week. Lord, and we want to purposely set this time aside in our hearts and our minds to focus intently upon you, upon the work that you have accomplished through your Son and our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, and upon your holy, inerrant, infallible Word. And so today I pray that you would grant us the grace and the mercy, O Lord, to have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive. O God, I ask you to grant us the grace and the mercy to apply it to our lives to trust and obey so that we can experience the maximum joy in knowing you and making you known to the world and you would receive maximum glory. So draw near to us now. Walk and work among us in a special and a powerful way for your glory and our good. For it's in Jesus' name we do ask. Amen. I want us to think about the observations that we're going to look at in this text under the heading, The Advance of the Gospel. The Advance 
of the gospel. Paul is writing now to a church, a local church, that he absolutely loves. He loves them and he cares for them and he is concerned for them. And the reason that he's concerned for them is because they have heard about the situation that Paul has found himself in, and that's going to be the first observation. So if you're a note-taker, number one is the predicament. The predicament. In verse 12, But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me. So he's talking about what has happened to him. The predicament that he finds himself in, the circumstance, the situation that Paul's in is that he's writing this letter while he's imprisoned at Rome. And being in prison, this would be alarming to those who knew him. It would be alarming to his missionary team. It would be alarming to those churches that he had helped to plant and to nourish in the, in the faith and to establish as local communities of baptized believers that would be expressions of the kingdom of God in the different cities and towns that he went. And so this would be a potential disaster and a threat, if you will, to the advancement of the gospel and to the glory of God. And the circumstance would not have been one of the circumstances that he would have asked for. <laughs> I don't know too many people that asked to go to prison. And it would not have been one of the things that you, they would have looked at and said, well, this is positive. <laughs> this, this is a positive thing. Paul's in prison, one of the greatest missionaries, one of the greatest preachers and apologists who stands to defend the claims of the gospel and refutes those who uh, do not believe from the sacred word of God, taking up the Old Testament and proving and, 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 and persuading people that Jesus of Nazareth is in fact the Christ, the one mediator between God and man, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They wouldn't have thought this was something positive. However, Paul understands something that we need to understand, that not only this predicament that he finds himself in, but every situation and circumstance that Paul finds himself in is by the providential hand of God. He recognizes that truth in his life. And, and can I say this? If you don't recognize that as a Christian, you're going to have a lot of difficulty as you walk this winding path. You see, the path to glory for the Christian is not a straight line to glory. It is, it is more like a winding path up a mountainside that crosses over difficult terrain and places of, of turns that cannot see on the other side. That's the way the Christian walk is. We're not going to be able to chart it out and see what's going to happen, but we need to know and be assured this morning that every predicament that we find ourselves in, God is in control. God is in control. And we see that in verse 17. If we would just look down there just briefly to pick out a little phrase that Paul says. He says, But the other of love, knowing that I am set, I am set, for the defense of the gospel. And what he means there is I am put here. That word and that phrase literally means that by the providential hand of God, by the intent of God, I am put here or set here. It's like it's, it's set not like someone who is uh, 
standing and, and will not be moved, but it's more set as in someone has placed something somewhere. I set that there. And this is the, this is the picture that Paul has. This is the understanding that he has of his life. That God, in His intention, in His sovereign will and purpose, has put me here for the defense of the gospel. And so that's the first observation, that it is a predicament that we find Him in, and that it is by God's sovereign hand that He has been set or put in prison in this predicament for the specific reason of advancing and defending the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that I want us to look at is not only the predicament, but the progress. The progress. If you look in verse 12, it goes on to say that not only the, that the thing that has happened, the, the circumstances of Paul's life, the predicament that he finds himself in, has fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. Hallelujah. The, the advancement of the gospel has come not apart from the persecution and the imprisonment, but as a direct result of the persecution, and the imprisonment. So he quickly tells the disciples that really what they might have been thinking about, oh no, Paul's in prison, the gospel's going to be hindered, what are we going to do? But Paul rather says, no, the opposite of that is actually happening, what you might think would happen, the opposite is happening. And the way, the way that I picked that out of this text is the little word rather. You see it there in verse 12? has fallen out rather. So he's saying what you might have thought was going to be the case is not really what's happening, but rather the gospel is actually progressing. <laughs> the predicament that I'm in is serving to advance or further or progress the gospel. And it's specifically through his imprisonment and persecution that Paul finds himself in. And so Paul trusted in the providential care of God. Therefore, when he's placed in prison, no matter what predicament he finds himself in, he preaches the gospel. He preaches the gospel. I can imagine some of us getting put in prison and we would use our one phone call and what would, we'd be calling somebody, get us on the prayer chain. We want out of here. What are we going to do? I can't, you know, I can't be in prison. I've got things to do. Can you imagine what some of the church probably thought? We need Paul. Paul has, he planted our church here on the European continent. It's not been that long since he planted this church and, and now he's in prison and, and, and we need the gospel to advance. Who's going to do it? But Paul says what happened to me is actually serving to progress the gospel because it's not based upon one person but it's based upon God who is in control and so the gospel is advancing and this word furtherance in your King James or the word advance or progress is the word that has the connotation behind it that it's overcoming all the obstacles that are in its way so the gospel is coming up against all of these Obstacles, but Paul doesn't see his imprisonment as, a, as an obstacle at all. He sees his imprisonment as an opportunity to share the gospel. And so he's chained to one of the Roman centurions, and what does he do? <laughs> he says, hey, do you know about Jesus Christ? Do you know about the one that, hey, 
by the way, you wasn't one of the ones that nailed him there, was you? Because, you know, the Roman soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross. But you know what? Before Jesus died, he actually said that he was going to lay down his life for his people. That three and a half years ago, when John the Baptist, one of the other prophets, when he saw him on the banks of the river of Jordan, you know what he said about him three and a half years before you nailed him to the cross? He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Do you know about him? And so the gospel begins to spread among the imperial guard. Because... These soldiers would not have been the kind of guys that would come down and listen to the evangelistic preaching of the Apostle Paul. So God says, I want the gospel to get to these soldiers, and this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to give Paul a prison ministry, but it's not going to be the kind of ministry that you just go in and, and you, you have all the parameters where you set up and bring them in and, and all the prisoners are there and you, you preach to them and then go home. No, I'm going to bring Paul into the prison and I'm going to leave him there as a prisoner. And this predicament is going to serve to progress my purposes, God's purposes in the gospel. So what does this tell us this morning? Simply this, whatever circumstance you are in, preach the gospel. <laughs> preach the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. You've got a mouth, don't you? If you're a child of God and you've been born again and you've been sealed by the Spirit and bought by the blood, then you have the indwelling presence of God. And you know how that you were saved. You were saved by hearing the truth that Jesus Christ went to that cross, laid down His life, and what was He doing? He was paying the sin debt for you. He was paying the sin debt for every person in this room and He was paying the sin debt for all who would call upon His name and trust in Him for eternal salvation. And He arose from the grave and He ascended into the heavens and He's coming back. And He's going to judge every person with a righteous judgment. No one will be treated unfairly. No one will be judged unrighteously. But all people of all places in all times will stand before the face of Jesus Christ and receive their judgment. And so that's the progress. The third thing that I want us to notice in verse 13 is the purpose. The predicament, the progress, and now let's look at the purpose. This is really the overarching purpose of all of the providential care of God for the Apostle Paul and for you as one of his children. He says, so that my bonds or my chains in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And so what is the purpose? That little phrase, in Christ, what it really means is, the literal meaning is, everyone knows that the purpose that I'm imprisoned and the purpose of my life is Christ. I am imprisoned for being a Christian. I am in prison now because I am testifying that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life and that no one can come to God except through Him. Everyone knows that the overarching purpose of Paul being in prison and the predicament that he finds himself in is for Christ. 
and for the gospel. Just to give us another point of reference, let's look at Acts chapter 20 for just a moment. Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. Because I want to make the point here that Paul is not concerned for his circumstance, but for the advance of the gospel. Is that the way you live your life, my friend? Unconcerned with what happens to you, with what circumstance you find yourself in, but being consumed with a passion for the fame of the name of Jesus among the nations of the world. That's the way Paul lived his life. And listen to me, that's the secret to holy joy. If you're not a joyful Christian, one of the things that you might be doing is being way too consumed with your own circumstances. Paul says, I'm not worried about my circumstance. Get on with the gospel. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with what? <laughs> with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's purpose whether he's in prison or whether he's free, is to preach, proclaim the gospel and to exalt Jesus Christ therein. So that's the purpose. Now the fourth thing that I want us to notice beginning in verse 14 in Philippians 1 is the proclamation. The proclamation. We've got the predicament, we have the progress, we have the purpose, and now we see the proclamation in verse 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, or my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so what has happened here is very unusual. Instead of the gospel being hindered because one of its primary preachers has been placed in prison, instead of that happening, the imperial guard is hearing the gospel, and no doubt some of them were converted. And not only that, but the people out there in freedom are recognizing the providential care of God for His servant in prison, and they're becoming emboldened because of His imprisonment. See, you don't realize what the predicament that you're in is going to result in. We're so good as we look back in retrospect on our lives, aren't we? Have you ever done that? Look back over something you went through and say, Well, praise God, I see what He was doing. But when you're in that predicament, you don't understand it. Well, here's the thing. Remember that whatever circumstance you're in, you're still under the providential care and the sovereign hand of God. And that God is rather plotting for your maximum joy and His maximum glory no matter what circumstance you're in. You see, the proclamation of the gospel is going forward because the people, the other Christians who are free are being emboldened by the imprisonment of Paul. So what am I saying? It is precisely the reality that Paul is in prison that is giving the boldness to the brothers. You see that? So if you ask the question, well, why, why are you so bold now? Because 
of what God is doing in the life of his servant in prison. So Paul could look back and rejoice on this, couldn't he? He could look back and say, Oh, my burning passion is to see the gospel advance and be glorified, souls to be saved, lives to be transformed. And the way that God saw fit to do it is to put me in prison. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That is the attitude of the Apostle Paul when he realizes and recognizes that these people are becoming emboldened because of his imprisonment. And so the proclamation of the gospel is going forward more boldly, more clearly, more powerfully, and more often than it would if he had not been imprisoned. And there is a huge lesson for American Christians in this point. Why are you free? Why don't you live in a country where you're not free? What is happening? Think about it. I'm not going to even say one thing. I just want you to think. Why? Why don't American Christians share the gospel? We're free. And these brethren would hear about Paul in prison. They would, they would be thinking, you know, if God is going to provide for Paul in prison, if he's going to convert the soldiers of the imperial guard, if he's going to providentially care for his servant while he's in prison, what would he be willing to do with me? And I'm free. What would he be willing to do with you, my brother, my sister, this morning? If you had a heart and a passion to proclaim the gospel, what would he be willing to do? I submit to you that he would be willing to convert souls. He would be willing to save people that are on their way to destruction and hell. I submit to you that is what God would be willing to do. My question would be, do you believe that? You believe it. Then in verses 15 to 17, Paul takes some time under this, still under this point of the proclamation of the gospel. And he deals and recognizes that there is a conflict of motives among those who are proclaiming the gospel. He says in verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set or put here for the defense of the gospel. And so he recognizes the conflict of motives. There is a good motive and there's a bad motive. And that still happens today. And not only in the proclamation of the gospel, but even in the things of the Christian faith. There are many people today who are religious, Many people today who have a form of godliness and an outward performance but have no inner transformation. And that is a terrible situation, but it is a reality. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and you're not born again, but you say, I'm a Christian. But there's been no fundamental change at the core of your being that has radically turned you away from sin and toward God in love 
and adoration. One of the things you need to ask yourself at that point is, do I treasure Christ above all things? Is he the supreme treasure of my heart? Or is it something else? Paul says some of these guys are preaching from envy. <laughs> There's a lot of work being done even in this city. Ministries. But the reason and the motivation behind why they do it is not right. They want to build up their personal kingdom. They want to convert everybody to their church. They want to have a name among the community. There's all kinds of motives. Some people just want to be needed, <laughs> and so they come to church. They want to be able to say, I've, got, I've shared the gospel with 20 people this week. Can you top that? Their motive is wrong, and it's very unfortunate. I don't know how many people that I've talked to in my short pilgrimage with Christ that have looked at me and said that the impure motives of pastors and preachers and evangelists and Christians and even whole churches are known for impure motives for doing what they do among the community and saying, therefore, I'm not coming to church. I'm not going to be involved in that. And that is unfortunate, although it is not acceptable. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 1 that those people are without excuse. But it is unfortunate. It is unfortunate that people are faced with these types of situations and circumstances. Bad motives and good motives. Spurgeon writes and takes it a little deeper in one of his um, lectures to his students. He says this, The word of an unconverted man may be blessed to the conversion of souls, since the Lord, while he disowns the man, will honor his own truth. That's a good quote. I'll read it again. The word of an unconverted man may be blessed to the conversion of souls, since the Lord, while he disowns the man, will still honor his own truth. That's good. That's good. So the man, you can have an impure motive. I can have an impure motive for sharing the gospel, preaching Christ. And people can still be converted because it has really nothing to do with the man. It has everything to do with the truth. And so my question is this. How should we respond? Should, should I say, well, let's just close the book and go home. You know, so many Christians out there are not doing the way they ought to do. And I can see it. That guy wants money or that guy wants to build up his own. He, all he wants is me sitting at the church. He wants to build up that church and say, look at how many people we got coming to birth. So... I'm just going to do away with it. I'm just going to say, nah, I'll, I'll just have my family and we'll go to the house and I can lead my family in devotions and we can be Christians right there at home. It's not what the Apostle Paul says to do. How should we respond when we know that people, and, and they are, preaching from impure motives? Let's call it, to keep with the P words, the praise. The praise. Look at it there in verse 18. What then? 
notwithstanding, every way, every way, every way, whether it's in pretense, whether it is in truth, I therein do rejoice and will rejoice. When Jesus Christ is lifted up as the way, the truth, and the life, when Jesus Christ is proclaimed to be the way of salvation to sinners who are on their way to a devil's hell, when preachers are proclaiming Jesus Christ to be the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world and cleanse you of your sin and give you the gift of eternal life and a heavenly home and a relationship with God forever, when people are preaching that, even if they're preaching it from an impure motive, Paul says... I'm going to praise. I'm going to rejoice. And that's exactly what we should do. Because we know this. God is going to take care of the people that are preaching and serving and doing what they're doing from an impure motive. God is going to take care of that. We don't focus on that. We focus on Jesus. We focus on the advancement of the gospel. We focus on souls being saved and lives being transformed to the glory of Almighty God. Now you may be sitting there this morning and you're thinking, you know, you're talking about some high and lofty things. You're talking about the kingdom of God. You're talking about Jesus Christ being saved. You're talking, Jesus Christ being willing to save sinners. You're talking about me being forgiven of my sins. And, and, and I just want to know just a little bit, this is the purpose that God has in the gospel. This is the purpose that God has in the proclamation of the truth about Jesus Christ. That people would come to understand that apart from the supernatural work of God in Christ, you are under the just condemnation of God. And the word condemnation is an old word for you're under the judicial sentence of God. The sentence of God that says, The soul that sinneth shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. But the good news is this. This is Romans 6.23 that I'm quoting. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why he came and bled and died, so that he could effect salvation and the lives of all who will turn from sin and self and place their trust completely and solely upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. To say to God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have sinned against you and in your sight. I know that I have rebelled against you and broken your rules and broken your commandments. But God, I want so desperately to be forgiven. I want to have a relationship with you that's not hindered by my sin and based upon Jesus Christ, death on the cross I come and ask you to forgive me come into my life and make me the person that you want me to be would you do that today? I invite you to come Father as we bow our heads in your presence Lord we ask you this morning to work and walk among us for your glory be glorified in the transformation of souls. If there's one unconverted soul in this room this morning, Father, whether they believe that they are, and maybe they're not, maybe they've deceived their own selves into thinking that their goodness is going to earn them 
a spot in your kingdom. Maybe they think that they have been converted. Oh, God, would you reveal even the depths of our hearts, this, even at this moment. Helping us to know before we leave this place that we've been changed. Changed not necessarily all at once on the outside, but changed on the inside. And then help us as your children to express that, to live it out so that other people may come. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.